0: Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, the practical how-to guide for women returning to the workforce, recent grads, and those looking to get the job of their dreams. Now, here's the founder of the Back to Business Women's Conference and your host, Katie Dunn. Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. I'm Katie Dunn, founder and CEO of Back to Business and your host, I'm here to help you get a job and I'm not just going to share advice on our topic in each episode. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it because here's how are two of my favorite words. It's get a job. Here's how. Let's get started. Hello listeners. And thank you for joining us today. My guest today is Sarah Hank from New Direction Family Law and we have a lot to talk about because I get a lot of questions from women who are returning to work after taking a career break and specifically women who are needing to go back to work because they're getting a divorce. And so this is a a subject that I've wanted to tackle for a long time in the podcast, but honestly, I just didn't really have the background or the experience to add a lot of value to this conversation. So I tapped Sarah, because this is what
1: she does for a living. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here, and we definitely run into this situation a lot. I work at a firm in Raleigh, and we just practice family law, so it's cases involving custody, you know, dividing assets, and then, of course, spousal support, which is You know, alimony is the the term that we all know it as. And there's also spousal support as well. And it it can be a very turbulent time for these people who are coming out of a marriage. So that's one big change. And then returning to the workforce, which is hard at any stage in life or if there's a relationship ending or not. Tough situation. Absolutely.
0: And that's what i've been hearing from women is that the idea of going back to work after a long career break is daunting enough but then to have to do that while you're also going through the legal proceedings of divorce and then dealing with all of the emotional overwhelm as one friend described it to me that goes along with getting a divorce it's just an awful lot for one person to be
1: carrying on their shoulders It is, and you're going to get a lot of advice from your friends, your family, that one person that, you know, lives down the street that's been through a divorce, but really the person you need to focus on having a conversation with is your attorney, because everyone's situation is different. North Carolina alimony laws are all different when it comes to, you know, your income, your job, and how much time the court's going to give you to get back on your feet. So it's very important that you speak to a legal professional and that you also tap into mental health counselors to get you confident, to, you know, help you compartmentalize certain aspects of the divorce and focus on going back to, to work and what that can look like and see if you can kind of separate those emotions. It's, it's super hard. So valid to feel any of those, you know, emotions that come with it, of course. We're here for you. And there's a lot of great attorneys in the area that can help you as well. So let's start with just
0: the legal part of getting divorced, because there's a whole lot to that. And as you mentioned, every case is different. But if we talk in sort of broad brushstrokes, if we can do that, just looking at the law here in North Carolina, what do women need to be aware of if they are you know, about to enter into a divorce proceeding, if they're, they know it's headed that way in their life, they see that coming,
1: or if you're in the thick of it. Well, I'll kind of couch this in the, in the area of what does, you know, having going back to work, what aspect of divorce does that touch on? And that's going to touch on your child support issue. So if you have children, the amount of child support you're going to receive, that's based on your gross annual income, and then also any kind of spousal support and that's going to be based on your, your income and the, your income's ability to cover all of your expenses. So those are in what you should be thinking about when it comes to your income, your work, you know, as you work part time during the marriage and you're thinking about going back to full time after the divorce. So those are the issues that we're going to look, focus on for this. The alimony law is all over the place. So we'll start with child support because so that's easy. In North Carolina, if your combined incomes between you and your spouse or you and the father or you and the, and the mother, if it's under $300,000, the combined gross income, you're going to be on these guidelines, support worksheets. And that's super easy. You Plug in incomes, you plug in a few other additional information, and it spits out what the recommended child support is going to be. So that's nice. If you're a W-2 employee, it makes it super simple. Alimony, on the other hand, is is not so simple. There's not an equation for it. The court or your attorney, if you're negotiating a settlement, is going to look at each party's net income that you bring home a month and also your expenses. So think about it this way. You're living together. You're married. He makes your or the supporting spouse, the spouse that makes more money than you, let's just assume it's the man for this this little scenario. He makes $70,000 a year. And that's enough to pay the mortgage on your home together, to cover the grocery bills, to cover your basic needs. And uh, you have three kids. So you're staying home and taking care of the kids. And you've been doing that for you know eight years. Well, now you're separating and you're going to have to stretch that 70,000, you know, a lot thinner. And there's going to be another mortgage or a rent to pay and two grocery bills and you know, two expenses for both households. And it might be really hard to stretch that 70000 So you're going to look at, well, if he's paying his bills, what does he have left over to give to his wife who now has to pay for her own bills? And if he makes 300000 well, that's going to be a lot different. He's going to have some extra income at the end of the month to give to the dependent spouse to cover her expenses, And if he doesn't, if he's a 70,000 or 60,000, there's not going to really be any left over to give to his wife. So she's going to have to look at, okay, what kind of job do I get? Because it doesn't matter. I'll break it down again. So if her income at the time she separates is zero, because she's not working, then she's going to have to have her monthly expenses, say it's 4,000. She she's in the whole 4,000 starting out. So if his expenses are 5000 but he makes 6000 well, he only has 1000 to give her. So in that scenario, she's probably going to have to look for a job pretty quickly. And then the judge is going to know that and expect that because we can't make him, no matter how bad of a husband he was, if he cheated or what have you, we can't make him live on the streets, unfortunately. So, you know, he's going to have to pay for his needs too. That's actually kind of scary to think about because your
0: expenses would essentially double overnight, right? Suddenly that same income has to support two households. And so that's a big stretch. So the one spouse who earns more, their expenses kind of come out first. And then that dependent spouse, if there's a deficit, then it's, does the responsibility fall on them to go and get a job or to make up that deficit. Is that how that works?
1: It does. And, you know, they'll put a crunch on the supporting spouse and say, okay, well, if you're saying you don't have enough uh, income to cover your expenses, well, let's look at your expenses. You know, are are you spending really $300 a month on golf? Well, you're going to have to stop that because paying for your spouse is more important than your golf habit. So then the judge and the court will go through your expenses and say, this is reasonable. This is unreasonable and find a way to really provide support for that dependent spouse if they, if they truly need it, important to remember. And they'll also look to the dependent spouse and they might've inflated their expenses to try and get more money and say, Oh, that's not very reasonable. So we're going to lower that amount too.
0: Okay. And the two, I assume the lawyers on each side kind of get together and those expenses and make sure they're legitimate and reasonable.
1: Right. So you're thinking this in the aspect of, you know, is this before we're filing in court for litigation? Is this a case where we can pretty amicably come to an agreement, and the, this dependent spouse isn't just going to go after blind all of his money? And hopefully, there's an attorney that says, "Yeah, well, let's be realistic about the outcomes here and try to work out a settlement." Or if you're in going to court because. Say the supporting spouse refuses to pay anything, and I get it. You don't want to pay your ex-spouse every month some kind of income, and their brain goes to you, well, they're just sitting around, they're not doing anything, and I'm just cutting her a check. Well, you're going to have to cut her a check, sir, if that's the way it works out. So, you know, you're either going to reasonably work out a settlement or you're going to go to court and have the judge decide for you.
0: Is it more advantageous to figure that out on your own, or
1: when you get in front of a judge you know, you're, you're kind of rolling the dice, right? You are rolling the dice. And there's a lot of different reasons why it's better to try and negotiate a settlement. You have more leeway in what you're able to do. You know, the, the court has to follow the laws, the applicable laws and what the statutes permit them to do. So you can craft an agreement that really works to you. Say you want to go back to school for three years to get a master's degree. And that's really important to you. And that'll help you get back on your feet then let's structure the alimony where it's going to cover your tuition for three years and then drop off a lot, as opposed to just going into court and the judge is saying, well, six years of, you know, a few hundred dollars, something like that. So you can really focus on what's important to you. And then there's also the attorney's fees aspect because we are paid hourly in most cases. So the more hours we spend on the case, the more hours you're going to be paying for, and that's going to be expensive. So you need to do the cost benefit analysis of how much money am I looking to get by going to court? And if, am I going to spend more money on my attorney? And of course, if you don't have the income, but your spouse does, and they do want to pay their attorney more than they want to pay you, that's going to be an issue as well. So navigate that field every step of the way, you know, what's going on in your case. Do you do discovery? And you also have the ability to ask the court for attorney's fees, but you don't get that until the tail end of everything. So all these different aspects to think about.
0: So if you're a woman going through a divorce and you have been a stay-at-home parent for many years, you're essentially entering into this with no money. And so does that give you less sort of leverage to, you know, pay an attorney or to find an attorney that
1: you're happy with? It it can, honestly, there's also assets. So if you're going to get some kind of lump sum from selling the house, or if you have family members, or if you just have a savings account that you can go ahead and tap into that was shared with you and your husband, then you can use that money as well. In most cases, you have to gauge the situation. If he doesn't make that much money, the supporting spouse, then you know that there's not going to be a grand, you know, waterfall of money coming at you at the end of this case. There's only so much to be had. Okay. Wow. So one
0: thing I want to follow up on was setting aside money to say, go back and earn another degree or earn a degree in the first place if you didn't have one. And I think that's really important because if you are returning to work and you haven't worked in many years, you may very well be in a position of needing to improve your skills or gain some new skills before you can really get a job that's going to support you and, and be meaningful to you. How likely is it that if you haven't worked, you might be able to have the leverage to work into your settlement, setting aside money to support working on your
1: skills in order to enable you to get a good job? Yeah. Again, it comes down to how much the supporting spouse makes, of course, and the income that's to be had by everybody. But that is one of the reasons that you know alimony exists is to help bridge the gap from when you were not working during the marriage to guiding you back to work so that you can supplement the alimony with your own income and eventually support yourself. Because in most cases, alimony isn't forever. It does not last forever. The the rule of thumb, it's not written down anywhere in a statute or a case law, but the rule of thumb, thumb is half the length of the marriage. So if you were married for 10 years and you had kids right away and you stayed home for eight of those years, you're looking at four years of alimony and the court can go beyond that. If they decide that you need more time or if he's capable of paying more than four years and the court can certainly in their discretion award more or award less. If they say, okay, well, you have two degrees and we think you can get back on your feet in two years. Then they can do that as well. It's, it's again, that roll of the dice. But if you're negotiating a settlement, the attorneys generally look at that half the length of the marriage Um, As a good starting point and then can adjust to your situation. But going back to to school, doing some kind of entry level work, I mean, that's all all reasonable. You can't assume that someone's going to be able to jump right back in, especially in today's world where we have no idea what the economy is going to look like in three or four months. You just can't expect that. And you you really need to counsel both of the the parties in the case about what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. And if the husband's supporting spouse is going to just refuse to pay anything out the gate there and then end up in court a year from now, he's not going to look good. Good to know. So I've also had
0: women tell me that if they're in the middle of a divorce proceeding and they get a job at that time and they hadn't been working, that they then risk getting what they thought is fair compensation out of the settlement. I'd love to kind of hear you weigh in on that, whether it's better to get your settlement and then get a job or, you know, how does, how does that look in the divorce proceeding?
1: Yeah. So that's going to be a case by case basis, of course, to talk to your attorney. So it comes down to at the time of the hearing, if you're going to be in court, that is, or, you know, you're negotiating the settlement, they're going to look at your income at that time. So if you're going to trial in six months and you don't have a job yet and you haven't had a job for six years or eight years, then that's yeah, reasonable. That's going to take you a while to get a job. So you kind of wait and then you go to court. You don't have any income. The court may uh, impute some income to you. They do that pretty much at the minimum wage level or if they're their last like history of income. So they'll say, I know you're not making any income right now, but we we kind of assume that you can make some income. So we're gonna say you get a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars a month for minimum wage. And your expenses are that five thousand a month. So you need thirty five hundred and you can squeeze thirty five hundred out of your, you know, supporting spouse, the wage earner in the relationship, then it might be better not to have the job right then. But the judge is going to know that you should be working and they're gonna to wanna to see that you have applied to jobs. And that they're jobs that are in your wheelhouse. So I mean, this is me coming speaking as if I'm, you know, representing the other party. You can't assume that their attorney is just going to roll over and say, "Yeah, she's not working. Just give her all the money. It doesn't matter." And so it's good to know who the attorney is on the other side, or Are they skilled enough to make those arguments against you that you haven't in good faith looked for work, or if it's going to be a slam dunk and you can go in there with no income and get everything that you need. And then of course, if he doesn't make that much money, then you're really setting yourself up to fail because you're not going to get hardly any alimony if your case isn't well-suited for it. There's all these factors the judges take into consideration in awarding alimony and it's in their discretion. Talk about just compounding
0: What are already some probably pretty
1: big problems that you're facing? And uh, when I have consults come in and I meet them for the first time, that's when we sit down with them and we go over specifically their case. You know, how much income does your husband make? What is your job history? Let's see if we can get them to agree to a temporary support amount and, you know, figure this out and really counsel them on what strategically they should do as far as the job search. And it's just, it's much easier when you sit down with an attorney and you can make that plan together since everyone's case is different.
0: Okay, great. So how long can it take to go through a divorce proceeding? Is there like, what's a best case scenario and what is a worst case scenario?
1: Best case scenario is that you come and meet with an attorney and you say, we decided to separate. We've already agreed on everything and easy peasy, just draw me up a separation agreement. That's going to be, you know, just a few weeks of of time. And then you just wait your one year and you get divorced. But typically when people are separating, they don't see eye to eye. I mean, hence the separation. You're not Able to communicate well with each other. So, a lot of times there's not an agreement and there's not an already packaged deal between the two of you. And then you hire the attorney, you try to negotiate, try to stay out of court. You don't want to spend a year just negotiating just to end up in court. So, you're just kind of seeing where everyone is. Maybe you go to mediation after a couple of months to have a mediator work to push you together to an agreement. And if you end up in court, the court process can take. A year, two years, you know, I've had alimony and asset cases that go on for three years because everyone's paying attorneys to do a bunch of discovery and searching for, you know, hidden money that may or may not exist. And then you refuse to settle, you know, everyone's heated, Don't want to, doesn't want to pay the other person and the other person wants, you know, $20,000 a month that doesn't exist. So then you end up in court and I don't know. I don't know if anyone wins or loses at that point.
0: Yeah, that's, gosh, that sounds really
1: <laughs> awful. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, I love going to court and I love that part of my job and litigating, but I'm always like, do you really want to do this? And you have to really look at the case and the person and what's important to them. Is it more important to them that they wrap things up, move on with their life and try to find another way to be happy? And then some people just like to fight and you say, okay, well, let's go fight. Up to you.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. And so, so you could be going through all of this and at the same time thinking, gee, and now I have to figure out how to get back to work Mm -hmm. and, and I haven't worked in many years. So I asked a friend a few questions who is going through a situation like this. And she said to me, so much emotional barrier in a time when your whole world has been shaken and nothing or no one seems to be what or whom you thought, it's amazingly difficult to brave a realm that has changed in so many ways since you were last job, you know, candidate or since you last participated in the job market. And so I know she talked a lot about just feeling completely overwhelmed by a the the whole divorce process, but B, then having to figure out who she was professionally when she really hadn't been in a professional setting in many years, but, you know, was now really obligated to go back to work and and figure that all out. Let's talk about kind of the
1: emotional side of it and how do you advise women in this situation hearing from your your friend what you just said it's sounds so amazingly hard and daunting I haven't been personally in that situation I help people through that situation but just to hear it just you know how does one person do that but I can say to your friend that people do it all the time and you will get through it and you'll get on the other side of everything and it might take you know a year it might take two years it's different from every for everybody but you'll find yourself eventually in a better place, more confident. So that's my favorite aspect of my job, aside from just the practicing of the law is seeing people through that craziness, because when I meet people, they come in, they are distraught, you know, all this change, uncertainty, can't even decide which area to focus on, you know, you get the kids involved too, and taking care of the kids. And my job is to work on the legal end of things and hopefully take a little bit of weight off. I always say, find a mental health therapist to, to speak to, they will help you with this and give you someone to talk to, a sounding board that's not your, your mother who's going to have a, a ton of opinions and your friends who are going to just sit there and bash your ex the whole time. And that's so not really helpful. Like you, you're definitely going to want to do that, but eventually you're going to have to stop doing that. And just focusing on separating these issues, you know, what, well, how am I going to deal with the kids? Well, you know, focus on the kids with your ex and just do that. But the financial issues, let me handle that for you and and take that load off of you. Let's sit down and go through a budget of your monthly expenses and see where you're at, how much money you need, and how can we get you there? You know, what can we expect to get from your husband? What do we say? Okay, well, this is what you're going to have to find out in the world going back to work to meet your expenses. And, you know, what kind of job is that going to be? and doing the best we can to give them time to do that. You know, can we negotiate a temporary settlement and get you some time to just calm down and, you know, try and find a little bit of ground and some peace. And of course you you have an amazing group set up to help people get back to work. There's support divorce groups out there. Look on Facebook. We have plenty of counselors that we recommend to our clients. It is crazy. And you want to find an attorney who will understand that and take the time to speak to you about it because it matters. You know, your end goals matter. What you're feeling now matters and what can we do in the legal world to, you know, help you and take a little burden off of you.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think what I'm hearing from women, too, is that many of them just never imagined that they would be in this situation. When they stepped out of the workforce years ago, they thought, okay, I'm not going to be going back to work. I'll be raising my children. We'll have our family here. And this is what I will do. And so it's the unexpected nature. So what I have been hearing is just the stress of having to kind of see your life in a whole new light, right? Everything has changed from your sort of your place in the world to your place in your family and your marriage. And I just imagine that that's an awful lot to deal with.
1: Yeah. And I've heard it compared to like taking every item, every person, relationship, that you have in your life, putting it on a blanket and just like tossing that blanket up and everything just going everywhere. And you have to have absolutely no idea what's going on or what you should focus on. And it's kind of putting the pieces back together again. And it's not going to look the same as it did before, but you're going to, you're going to have to do it and you will do it. And like I said, most people, when I see them on the end of their case and we're signing documents, we're wrapping things up, they're ending their services with the firm. They are in a better place. They're happier. They're stronger. It's amazing to see the confidence in people that was not there when they first came into my office. So there is an end in sight and there's light at the end of the tunnel and there's new relationships that can be had eventually, which of course no one really focuses on. They always say they'll never get married again, but you don't really know. Remember, if you do receive alimony, then cohabitating with a a paramour or or a boyfriend does terminate the alimony and remarrying terminates alimony. So all those aspects to think about too, but, you know, focus on the kids, focus on getting yourself back into the workforce, take the opportunity to think, okay, well, what do I want to do with my, you know, professional career? Do I want to do what I was doing before I started staying home with the kids? Did I like that? Or do I want to take this experience... And it come out and do something completely different. And that's, you know, one of the positive aspects of this is you're going to have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Have you seen some
0: real success stories of women who have kind of come out the other end of this having reinvented themselves and with a new career and a new outlook on life?
1: I would love to hear about one of those stories. They do. And it's either they haven't worked at all or they never you know, had a professional job and they go back to school. And the next thing I know, they're a nurse practitioner or starting their own business, which is always great to see. I'm one of the partners at the firm. So I love seeing women business owners and some of them start their own support groups and, you know, go on to write books about the situation. That is just my favorite thing to see uh, is women just taking, looking in themselves and finding that strength. So my friend also told me that eventually she realized
0: She's going to come out of this really different than she went into it. Her life is going to look really different. And she sort of woke up one day and realized the only person who is responsible for that is me. So, whatever my life looks like, three, five years down the road. I am the person who gets the credit or the blame for that. And it's totally up to me. And so I need to make that the best that it can possibly be. I kind of love the positive, you know, energy behind all that. And I imagine that was really helpful to her. So I hope other people find that helpful as well.
1: That's amazing. And I think you don't even need to be going through a divorce to really take that realization taking the the hold of the, the reins there and reinventing yourself and acknowledging that you do have the power in yourself to do what you want to do. And you can do that. I wish her the best of luck. And I totally can understand that personally. So best of luck to her and she can do it. And anyone, any woman can do it. I think women find themselves giving a lot of their their time and their effort and energy away to their relationships, their children, and um, just following into that daily routine and, and not taking a step back and thinking, you know, what do I want to do and how can I make this happen? And you can, you can do that without thinking that you're selfish. I know it's going to be a hard at first if you have kids and, you know, reverting back to selfish for me to do this, but it's possible and your kids can see you do amazing things which will inspire them. And so that's great. That's good to hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's important. Like you said, that your, your kids are watching, you know, and they will see you get through this tough time and taking positive steps. And, and I think that can be a really powerful example to your children in the middle of what is probably feels like their world is falling apart, you know, as their parents are getting divorced. So yeah, that's a nice way to look at that. Um, I always tell women and really anybody who's looking for a job to use their network a lot as they're looking for their next step. So I've also heard from women who are going through a divorce that they are worried about their settlement and so not wanting to be very, you know, out front with the fact that they are looking for a job and yet they know that they need to be networking and talking to people if they're going to get a job. And so they feel a little bit stuck in this space. That's tough. I mean, you're a little bit caught there, but I think what I was hearing you say is that the settlement will depend on the finances of of both partners. And so if you think that you are going to need a job, you should be out there looking for a job and worried less about how that will impact your settlement and more about kind of
1: the future and that you'd be able to provide for yourself. Don't let the litigation consume you. That's how you end up in trouble. And, you know, maybe your attorney has advised you to do that. And of course, listen to your attorney if they said to slow down the job hunt. But I would advise that most people go out there and do join support groups. It's good for you to get back in engaging with people outside of the house and it would show that you are actually looking for work because I do not think it would hurt you. But again, talk to your own attorney about your own situation. And uh, obviously, I'm just speaking about North Carolina law on, on the podcast today. And so that's important to note as well. But I think it's a great opportunity to get out there and network. You never know, you know who you're going to meet, what kind of doors are going to open for you or give you an idea about what you do want to do. And if you're going to go out and start your own business, you're not going to make that much money. Right away, anyway. So get out there and start. You still might show zero income, but <laughs> one right. day it'll be good. And yeah. it, it's better to focus on yourself and your happiness and your trajectory than to put all your emotion and 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 fight into litigation and attorneys' fees. That's my advice. That
0: does sound very soul sucking to be really focused focused on the fight the whole time.
1: Yeah. Um, those, that's how we make our mon- the most money. So I mean, if you want to, then that's fine with me, but <laughs> it's not gonna be beneficial to you most of the time. So we, we do kind of, we try to counsel people on that and say, I am happy to go to court for you and we will fight like, you know, heck in your case and try to squeeze every dime out of him. But let's also take a step back and look at this realistically. That's an important to have in an attorney. So if your attorney is giving you false hope, maybe go look for a different one. Yeah,
0: here's another thing I read about it as as I was doing some research to prepare for this conversation was divorce recovery and just the idea that emotionally it can take you years depending on how long you were married or, or maybe not, right? It could take you years anyway, even if your marriage wasn't that long, just to kind of emotionally get back on your feet and feel sort of comfortable in your new skin after you've been divorced. Do you see a lot of women
1: kind of struggling with that? Definitely. And it comes into play with a lot of different areas. You know, we have relationships where there's actual abuse in it, whether it's verbal abuse or physical abuse, and then you're, you're talking about like PTSD from a relationship, which is a real thing and and happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. So in those cases, it's extremely traumatic and you're going to have to go see a doctor to help you with that situation. And I can't imagine coming out of a relationship and having to deal with something like PTSD from an abusive relationship and going back to work at the same time and how that could impact you. So it can be you know, as far reaching as that, then just to my heart's broken, which is traumatic in and of itself. And going back to work and having those trust issues, having low confidence in yourself, it's, it's a lot of work and you have to give yourself some time to feel that and go through those emotions and know that those emotions are valid and just keep with it. Reach out to your support systems and your friends and your family. Do something for yourself and really take this opportunity to reinvent yourself and how you want your life to be like now because it's going to be completely different.
0: Well, also on the job front, I think for a woman going through a divorce, the interesting thing to me is kind of the process is the same, whether you're motivated to return to work because you're getting a divorce or simply because you took a few years off. and. And now it's time. It's just that maybe you're carrying around a lot more emotional baggage as you go through those steps. But still, I would encourage people, a resume might be really difficult to put together if you've been out of the workforce. And there are lots of professionals who can help with resume writing and things like that. So definitely, if you have the money to do something like that, seek out professional help so that as you are returning to the workforce and applying for jobs, you feel confident that your job search tools are in the best shape that they can possibly be in. And also work on telling your story. And I would say that your story in this case might include mention of the divorce as prompting you to go back to work, or it may not because you don't have to tell everybody everything. Just keep in mind that you, a lot of this is very personal and private, and you don't need to feel compelled to share that with people. You can sort of keep that part of your life for yourself if you wish, or have a few friends that you really trust that you are sharing that with. And to the rest of the world, you might just look like a job seeker and that's okay. And in fact, that might even be a little bit refreshing because that might be an area of your life where the divorce is sort of not invading what you're doing in that space. So if you are a job seeker, focus on getting your tools in order and having conversations with people who might be in a position to offer you advice or introductions or give you a start on your first job back. And then, of course, really take care of yourself. Sarah, I think you did a great job of mentioning that over and over. The emotional part of this is really a huge deal and that you've seen women have a lot of success with support groups and seeking professional help, mental health counseling for people going through a situation like this. So yeah. any last words of wisdom
1: you would want to share? Well, I think you're... you're- last advice there was really great and, and separating those aspects of your life and from the divorce So you go into a, a job interview, and then all of a sudden you start bawling your eyes out. Like, oh, That's not, that's not going to look very good. So you know, really take care of yourself and, and separate those items in your life and you know, fix your resume, like you said, and look to job opportunities out there that are going to somehow ignite some kind of passion in you again. So look for those opportunities the most and talk to your attorney to get a game plan down for the, the two of you going forward. That's going to help you in your real life and in your legal case. And just you know, do the best you can and give yourself a break. You can be all right. Absolutely. Sarah, where can people find you and your firm? Our firm is New Direction Family Law. So if you go to newdirectionfamilylaw.com, you'll find our webpage there. We're on Facebook, Instagram, so you can Google us. We're based out of Raleigh. We practice in Wake County and all those surrounding counties, um, Durham County, Johnson County, Harnett County, orange so if you're in need of any legal counsel for alimony case or anything that is family law related just go ahead and reach out to us on one of those platforms awesome thank you
0: so much for joining me today i really appreciate it this was a topic i felt was really important to tackle and i could not have done it without your expertise so thank you very much thank you for having me it's been a pleasure Absolutely. All right. So if you are going through a divorce and that is forcing your return to work, hopefully you found some words of wisdom in our podcast today that will help you through that journey. Feel free to come to backtobusinessconference.com and join our community. It's a really supportive community of women returning to work and seek out the help that you need and get great representation like Sarah at New Direction Family Law. Uh, This is hard stuff, but I know that you can do it. I believe in you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. You can find all the information from this episode in our show notes at www.backtobusinessconference.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review so that we can reach more people. Now that you know how, go do it. Subscribe to our email list at backtobusinessconference.com for weekly job search advice.